uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8, Romans 8. Uh, we are continuing our march through uh, a real uh, climactic chapter of the Bible. Uh, I would recommend it to you. In fact, I would recommend you memorize Romans chapter 8 and study upon it, uh, regularly meditate upon it. Um, for the sake of time, what we're going to do is your, your outline you have in your, your bulletin, that will cover both this morning and this evening, because I'm doing the preacher thing, is, is, is I can't get it all in. So either uh, we, we're here for three hours, or you come back later tonight after you've had leftovers from Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll finish our study of this. But we are looking at such an important uh, point in the Bible, it seems uh, wrong to just speed through it. So with that, uh, stand with me out of Reverend God's Word, page 1005. If you don't have a Bible, of course, come let us know. Take the Bible in front of you, or... Uh, we will get you a nice one. We have some available for you. Romans chapter 8, we'll read verses 14 to 17, but we won't make it out of verse 14 this morning. Paul, so Paul writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I ask every time we gather the same thing, and we ask for the same thing each week, that you would open our entire being. We may receive your word, having believed your word, to be transformed by your word. This is your work. And we ask that you would do it. What a precious truth we have here. We are sons and daughters of God. Let us see that this is good news and let it radically change who we are and how we live our lives. May I decrease so you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. May you be seated. Well, normally what I would tell you is to uh, stay away from daily news and the internet, stuff like that. But today I want to do the opposite. I want to encourage you that if you're having a bad day, or it's just been a rough time for you, there is a quick and easy pick-me-up, if you will, and all it involves is getting out your phone or your laptop, whatever, and there are some videos I want you to watch on YouTube or whatever. You can watch. It will work every single time. Right? You, there's two of them, so you can pick your favorite. The first is you need to look at videos of soldiers coming home to greet their family. Have, have you seen these? These were soldiers that have been gone for years, and then, and then their family doesn't know they're coming in, and so they wait until their, 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 their child is, is at school, and they surprise them at school. It's a little girl, they got flowers, and the little girl goes crazy. Or maybe uh, they're, they're engaged or newly married but been gone for all this time, shows up at their work, right? And, and you watch it, and you just want to cry. Right? Even, even the, the most hardened men, you watch that, like, that's, that's good. That, that's good stuff. Let me give you a second option you can watch for a quick pick-me-up. It's very similar to it. Watch a child's birthday party or Christmas morning, something like that. And the child opens up with an envelope or something like that, and, and he or she reads it, and it says, essentially, you will be adopted. Have you seen these videos? They're incredible. Because what you discover is what that child wanted more than the PlayStation or the Xbox or the VR or, or anything, what they wanted was to be loved. What they want more than anything 
is to have a father. The beauty of adoption is something that we, we, we dare not overlook. In fact, adoption has existed from the beginning of time to now, and, and it shows us two simultaneous truths, a, an unfortunate truth and a blessed truth. The unfortunate truth is we live in a fallen, broken world. And there are orphans and those in need of adoption, not always for, for, for bad reasons. Tragedy happens and, 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 and bad things happen and, and this creates a real need. Now, there may be a sin lying in the background, I, I don't know. But it does remind us that the need for adoption, the existence of, of orphan care reminds us we do live in a fallen world. But adoption also shows us the beauty of redemption and love and grace. To, to, to welcome others into our home, to say that, that biologically we may not be related, but, but, but you are equally loved here. That's grace. That is the beauty of redemption. Well, it may not come as a surprise to many that the Bible utilizes a variety of metaphors to help us, the reader, to better understand what God accomplished uh, in Christ at the cross and resurrection. A host of metaphors, and, and maybe sometime in the future we'll look at many of them. These would include things like the courtroom, justification. You are condemned, Romans 8.1, but now justified. The marketplace, right, that, that you are redeemed. Your, your, your debt has been paid in full. The, the slave market, to where we are slaves and we've been set free. The battlefield, where Christ rules and reigns and he gains a victory on our behalf. But then often we overlook a really precious one that Paul wants us to see and that is the orphanage that we are children of God via adoption well we want to start here in verse 14 we won't get beyond this and then we want to look at the nature of our adoption which you have in your notes there now remember the context of this chapter is important and it's the way we've looked at this chapter we often read chapter 8 as if it is chapter 1 Right? And that is to say that Paul is writing to non-believers. Actually, he's writing to believers. He's writing to a local church. And he's already laid out the, 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 the salvation in the first five chapters. And after salvation, he starts talking about the Christian journey. And he says immediately there are two errors we, we fall for. One is legalism, that is rule-keeping. The other is libertarianism, that is, I can do whatever I want. Jesus loves me, this I know. And, and he says both of these are errors, and they lead us down dangerous paths. And so chapter 8 shows us what we need is the Spirit. And so we, we saw in the first 13 verses, took us two weeks to look at it, is that the Spirit moves us, or the Spirit reminds us that in Christ we are saints. We are saints. We go from slaves to saints, sinners to saints. In verses 14 to 17, Paul reminds us that those who are in the Spirit, God moves us from orphans to sons. The Spirit reminds us of this by directing us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are saints, you are sons. Now, this idea of adoption is not new to the Apostle Paul. Uh, this is developed throughout the entire Bible, and time won't allow us to do a full treatment of it. I'm sure we've looked at it in the past, and we can do it sometime in the future. I would point you all the way back to Exodus 3 at the burning bush, where God describes his people as his son. If you remember, Moses' name has two meanings to it. The Hebrew name means the one who is drawn out of water. Right? You remember the story. But the Egyptian name means son of. That's why you get Thut Moses means the son of Thut. Ramazes means the son of Ra. So, so Moses means son of 
I don't know. Whose son is he going to be? And in the story we reveal, the people of God become sons of God. It's adoption. Well, let me see if we can summarize that in Hosea 11, especially since it is Christmas time. Uh, The prophet says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. By the way, you'll notice that verse is quoted by Matthew in the Nativity story. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by the arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bonds of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. This is orphanage language. I am the one who saw them stranded. I am the one who raised them. I am the one who adopted them. Now, the question we have in reading a passage like this and others similar to it in the Old Testament is, what did Israel do to deserve such grace? What did they do to get this relationship with God? And if you read the Old Testament, the answer is clear. Nada. I think it's the theological term. Zilch. Nothing. In fact, you go all the way back to the story of Abraham. He was uh, a pretty rough guy. He, he, he was a pagan uh, out of Ur near Babel. And, and he, he was not worthy of grace, yet God chose him. God called him out. Now, in every adoption, I don't know if you notice this or not, the sole decision of adoption lies with the parents. Now, there may be some other circumstances I get, but, but in general, it is the parents who say, We wish to adopt. And then they go and adopt. The orphan has no no option in this. They can't walk around the streets and say, he's a really funny guy. I want to be his daughter. Or or, this lady here can really cook. I, I want to be her son. You can't do that. But rather, it is the proactive grace of parents. And so it was with Israel. And so it is with us. You come into the New Testament, this language of adoption is applied beyond the people of Israel, but to the people of God. For example, Jesus, or John says regarding Jesus in John 1, but to all who did, did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice, you become, you, you, you are not born children of God in this sort of context. That is to say, by adoption, we become God's children who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Notice this is not a genetic issue of sonship. This is a theological issue of sonship. Paul will write what sounds awfully a lot like Romans 8 here. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through Christ. This sounds exactly what he writes here in Romans 8. We in Christ go from slaves to sons. Jesus illustrated this point for us in the prodigal son. You remember the story? He was a biological son of the father who says, I wish you were dead and I weren't your son. And he ran off with all, with all of dad's money. And he comes back. You remember his speech he prepares to give to his father? Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your slaves. And I'll pay everything back that I stole from you. Remember what the father does? He he adopts basically his own son. You're no longer a slave. You are my son. 
This is the beauty of grace. This is the beauty of the gospel. Kevin DeYoung is right when he says, we are children of God, not by right of human birth, but by virtue of divine adoption. Now, this is all summarized for us in a very succinct way in verse 14. It is the thesis of the entire passage. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So you see the prerequisite for the Spirit is sonship. So the Spirit that saves is the Spirit that adopts. So, so, so we were condemned under the weight of the law, sin and accusation and everything else. And, and here comes the Spirit and says, have you forgotten that Christ has freed you from all condemnation? You're free of this. You're not a slave to the law. You're not a slave to your flesh. You're free. Live for, for Christ. And then the same Spirit comes and says, have you forgotten that you are a child of God? Act like it. This means that prior to our confession, prior to our conversion, we were all orphans. This is illustrated for us rather graphically by the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 16, uh, he says, Thus says the Lord God, your uh, origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. That is the language of, or, of, of an orphan. This is common in the ancient world, and increasingly in ours, that if a child was born and no one wanted it, you would just expose it to the elements. You didn't care about wrapping it in swaddling cloths, language borrowed by Luke in the nativity story. You wouldn't care about covering it in salt to help with all that sort of stuff, right? You didn't do any of that. You just put them out in the field and you abandon them as an orphan. And then we get this in the verses to follow. But when I passed by you, when I saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. And I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. You see what happened there? God sees orphans. Everyone else abandons the orphans. But God says, live, for you are now mine. It's the beauty of the gospel. This is our story. This means that you and I are not members of a movement. We are members of the household of God. We are part of a kingdom by which God reigns. Your father is God. What a powerful message I believe that is to a society that is riddled with the failures and the absence of men. That despite all of that, we have a father. Paul is reminding the Christians of Rome as he reminds us that we have been adopted through Christ by God. And in these moments of need and despair and difficulty, the Spirit reminds you, you're no longer condemned, but you are, you are saved. You're no longer a slave. You are a son. The problem is so many of us forget this fact. Whenever I was a little kid, I did what a lot of little kids would do. I would play a little game where you sneak up on your parents and da-da-da-da-da and all that sort of stuff. And this one day in particular, I put a blanket or a jacket or something over my head that I could see through it, but obviously not as well if I didn't have a big jacket over my head. And so I went around, you know, being goofy as, as just a little toddler would do. And I saw a woman in a dress that sure did look like my mother's dress. 
Yeah. And I was a little guy, and I didn't look up. All I could see was just right in front of me. And that looked like mom's legs. It looked like mom's shoes. It looked like the way mom would stand if all I could see was from her knees down. I don't know. So I went up and hit her and did all the sort of stuff that toddlers do. And I ripped off that jacket, and I looked up, and it wasn't her. Now, what did the woman do? Well, she did what you do and I do when a little toddler comes up to, to pastor you. Like, I sweet, I ain't kid. You want me to pick you up? Want me to take you home? Want me to kidnap you and not tell your parents? You know that language we use all the time, which is a bit creepy, but nevertheless, we do it. I was embarrassed because I was unaware and I did not notice who my own mother was. So I ran off and found her without the jacket. Just, just ran off, you know, found her. We do something similar when it comes to our Heavenly Father. It's as if we are navigating through this world in a veil, not really sure who He is or where He is to be found. It is as if we constantly forget who our Father is. And what we get, we'll see tonight, verses 15 to 17, is, is, is we see, Paul says that if verse 14 is true, that you are sons of God and the Spirit shows us we are sons of God, this is what this looks like practically. But let us not overlook that very thought. Many of us forget we have God as our Father. No wonder most of us are miserable. We act like God is absentee in our lives. We are miserable as a result, confused, feeling forgotten. Well, being the case that we are sons of God, what, is, what does that mean? What does that mean? Let me give you just three points of application. We'll, we'll call it a day. The first thing we need to see is that God is eternally your father. As the adopted children of God, God is eternally your father. In an age of serial fatherlessness, the fatherhood of God can be wrongly interpreted. And I see this all the time. We often interpret uh, God through the lens of our father. And I have a good father. I love my father. But he ain't that good. Now, we never think of it in those terms. What we usually do is, well, my father abused me. My father avoided me. My father was distant from me. My father was gone all the time. My father was absent. Therefore, God must be like that. And that is a serious, serious error. God is the sort of father our hearts all long for. Uh, my brother-in-law, um, when, when my niece and nephew were, were first born, the, 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 my niece is the Otis, and, and I, I would try to, he, he was a little confused. He'd say like, why doesn't my daughter want to have anything to do with me? I said, I'll tell you why. She's one. You do not exist to a one-year-old except to be thrown into the air. That's about it. That's about it. They want mama all the time. I said, but at some point in her little life, at some point, Overnight, it's going to click, and she don't want to have anything to do with mama. She only cares about daddy. How many women here were, were, were daddy's girls? Every stinking one of you. Something happened. One day, you, you were all about mama, and now all of a sudden, uh, you, you don't even remember her name. It's all about daddy. We all have that in us. And God is the one that our hearts long for. Uh, the psalmist describes this, that God is a father of the fatherless and a judge to the widows. God in his holy 
habitation. Many feel increasingly abandoned and alone in our age today. And the good news of the gospel is that in Christ you have God as your Father. He is not a distant deity, indifferent to our needs and struggles. He is present, he is strong, and he is not silent. No other religion is going to give you this. No, we have a Father who stoops, and he will stoop forever and ever. Secondly, you are unconditionally loved. How many of you all had your crazy uncle at Thanksgiving over the, 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 the two days ago, three days ago, whatever it is? You know who I'm thinking of, right? Of course, the joke is, if you don't know who your crazy uncle is, you are the crazy uncle or the crazy cousin or the crazy aunt or whatever it is. Babylon Bee had a headline, something similar. Man realizes he the whole time was the crazy uncle. Um, now, think about it. We, we joke about the crazy uncle because we all have people in our family that we love. We just hope they don't come to anything. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah, you because know, yeah, husbands, you can go to the in-laws' house. You're gonna ask, "Hey, is uh, your aunt gonna be there? She's traveling, right? Right? What are you really asking? I, if 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 your aunt's gonna be there, your cousin's gonna be there, your your brother's gonna be there. I'd just rather stay home and stare at the ceiling. That's what you're really saying. Yet, because they are family, you will love them unconditionally. Isn't that true? I have crazy uncles. I do my best to be a crazy uncle to my niece and nephews on both sides of the family. But I love every member of my family simply because they are family. So it is in the household of God. You and I have been adopted into the family of God. Therefore, we are loved unconditionally. And having been loved unconditionally, we are free to love unconditionally. Isn't this good news? The world can hate you. The world can despise you. Your family can abandon you. Your workplace can be a mess. But good news, you are always overflowing with the love of God. Isn't that good news? We should act like that is good news. The church in its purest is a spiritual family whereby we love each other because we are a family. And this is why church hopping is one of the biggest scandals we've had for generations. Because we've become consumers rather than families. You wouldn't do that with your own blood relatives, would you? Why don't we do it to one another? My feelings were hurt or the music wasn't what I thought it would be. or The youth group could be better. Or the preaching was terrible and too long. Someone said something. It would be good if we loved each other the way God as Father has loved us. Malachi 2.10, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Well, third and last, we not only have God eternally as our Father, we not only are loved unconditionally by our Father and thus should love one another unconditionally. Thirdly, here's a simple exhortation. Go be like your dad. Go be like your dad. There is a great scene I found a gif for, for those who are judgmental, gif. Um, so I'll put it up here. It's from the movie Jaws. I'm not recommending the movie Jaws, but you would recognize the movie Jaws. So that is the purpose of the illustration. So here's the gif. This is a great scene, right, where, where the dad is sitting in the kitchen and everything he does, his son does. So when he folds his hand in exhaustion, his, his son is just staring at him. He folds his hand. Every dad's had that moment, right? And every mom's had that moment. 
So, so I remember uh, taking our kids to, to the gym. We're dribbling a ball. It's like, Dad, I can dribble a ball just like you can. I can do a crossover like you can. I can do this like you can. There, there's something about being young and innocent that, that you look to your parents and say, they've got it all figured out, and we want to mimic everything they are and everything they do. Now, something happens when you become a teenager and you want to do the opposite. Then you hit like 35 and you realize the whole time you are your father and mother. And at that point, you're getting too old or frankly, you just don't care. I've told you before, I am turning my father. And I realized this whole time, he was not wrong. <laughs> he was not wrong about anything. My lands, it, it's, 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 it's uh, my temper shorter. My patience is, 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 is not what, what, what I pretended it used to be. It, it just, I'm turning into my father. Well, if we do that as sons and daughters, shouldn't we do that as believers? Doesn't the Bible compel us to do as God has done? What has God done? He has cared for the orphan. James chapter 1 makes this very clear. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father does this. It visits orphans and widows in their afflictions. It visits orphans and widows. It is no accident that orphan care has been a priority of the church for 2,000 years. From the very beginning, we have cared about those in whom society has abandoned. The need for orphan care is as much needed today, particularly with the epidemic of fatherlessness, as it's ever been needed. According to the Christian Alliance for Orphans, and this is from a few years ago, the total estimated number of orphans worldwide is 153 million children. Estimated number of double orphans are that of 17.8 million children. Number of children in foster care in the United States right now is over 400,000. Children in American foster care waiting to be adopted right now is over 100,000 children. And this fails to address uh, more unique pro-life and pro-adoption challenges, particularly those in relation to biotechnology. I wish we had time to chase this rabbit, but we had better not. I think we've talked about it in the past. If not, I've written about it. I'll send you the book. The f right now, there is an estimated, and this is a stat from a few years ago, 600,000 frozen embryos sitting in labs most of which will simply be destroyed or used for scientific experimentation. You understand what I'm describing here? Due to certain technology, I'm not entirely against, though not entirely for, that, that you can create an embryo. And if we believe that life begins at conception of that embryo, then what happens is, is that you can take that embryo, freeze it, and there it stays. Right now in the West are twins who are 20, 30, 40 years apart. Why? Because the embryos are made at the same time. One is implanted immediately. The other is frozen to only be implanted later. 600,000 embryos. That's on top of what we see in orphans and whatnot. And what should bother us is that the culture of death will not save these souls. And if the culture won't, certainly the church must. In fact, the average American is more likely to advocate the adoption of, of dogs and cats than we are over abandoned children. And that is a problem. If the church does not care, who elsewhere? Well, let me encourage you that right now, when you give to this church, 
We are supporting this very issue. Our association is a collection of about 30 churches, give or take, and, and we, we are supporting a, uh, an orphanage in Haiti. Uh, uh, maybe we could have uh, them come here. Uh, they do a really good job. In fact, if you would like to take a trip to this orphanage that you are contributing to support, uh, we can organize that. We've tried to organize it in the past. Uh, they take several trips each year. been more complicated since COVID, and particularly after some of the violence in Haiti. Uh, but that goes from, from birth all the way up to 18. They do education and everything else. Likewise, the Kentucky Baptist Convention, our state convention, uh, runs the largest um, orphan care ministry in the state known as Sunrise. Uh, and and they're, they're in several locales. I recommend you go. I'll take you if you want to go to see one. I'll, I'll take you there. Uh, this has created some issues recently with, with the government. Um, but, but, and, and the reason the government has realized the error of their ways is to realize that the KBC is taking care of more children than any other organization, including the government right now. Why? Because we, as the adopted children of God, want to mimic our Father. Well, there's an old preacher story that I heard as a kid, and I've heard it off and on ever since, and I'd like to steal it. It's a story of a boy who, um, who is walking on the, the beach, and the tide has brought in just dozens and dozens and dozens of starfish. And they're on the beach. If, if they don't get back into the water, they will suffocate and die. And... So the boy starts walking the, the beach and he picks one up and he puts it back into the water. He'll go back out there and he'll grab another one strand and he puts it back into the water. An old cranky man, probably my father, is watching this and he, he sees this little boy doing this and he looks out and he says, there's, there's, just, there's hundreds of, of, of these starfish. He says, young man, what are, you, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm trying to put all the starfish back into the ocean. He goes, well, son, don't you realize there are so many do you think you're really going to help? The boy picked up another starfish, put him back in the ocean. He says, well, I changed that one's life. Adoption is very much the same thing. You and I, apart from the love of Christ, are orphans without hope. The world isn't going to love you. The culture isn't going to save you. The news isn't going to deliver you. Politics isn't your hope. Apart from the love of Christ, we are those starfish. And one by one, he draws us into the family of God. And I suspect there are some still here today who have never been adopted by Christ. I beg of you, all you have to do is come. All you have to do is have God as your loving father. That's it. God adopts us, not because of anything that we are or, or can achieve or become, but simply because of an enduring love he has for his children. I'll ask that you come. But I suspect there are others whom, whom Paul is writing specifically to who continue to forget you have a father. I'm gonna ask that you too, that you would come and, and, and finally, once for all, say, I will never forsake, I will never forget that I am loved, that I am his, and I will be his into eternity. Therefore, as we'll see tonight, we have nothing to fear. We are heirs with Christ. Or maybe we should let Jesus have the last word here. Jesus, on the eve of his own death, disciples are trying to figure out what exactly is going on here. Jesus is talking about leaving. And he simply says this, I will not leave you as 
orphans. I will come to you. And maybe today is the day that Christ has come for you, and I ask that you come. Or maybe today is the day you need to be reminded Christ has never left you. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, I ask that you would be so kind as to...